When my mother was growing up, she and her whole family would go to dances. These would be held in the schoolhouse or sometimes in a farmhouse with a big enough front room. Young and old would be in attendance. Someone would play the piano, the household piano or the one in the school, and someone would have brought a violin. The square dancing had complicated patterns or steps, which a person known for a special facility would call out at the top of his voice, it was always a man, and in a strange, desperate sort of haste, which was of no use at all unless you knew the dance already. As everybody did, having learned them all by the time they were 10 or 12 years old. Married now, with three of us children, my mother was still of an age and temperament to enjoy such dances if she had lived in the true countryside where they were still going on. She would have enjoyed, too, the round dancing performed by couples, which was supplanting the old style to a certain extent. But she was in an odd situation. We were. Our family was out of town, but not really in the country. My father, who was much better liked than my mother, was a man who believed in taking whatever you were dealt. Not so my mother. She had risen from her farm girl's life to become a school teacher, but this was not enough. It had not given her the position she would have liked or the friends she would have liked to have in town. She was living in the wrong place and had not enough money, but she was not equipped anyway. She could play euchre, but not bridge. She was affronted by the sight of a woman smoking. I think people found her pushy and overly grammatical. She said things like readily and indeed so. She sounded as if she had grown up in some strange family who always talked that way, and she hadn't. They didn't. Out on their farms, my aunts and uncles talked the way everybody else did. And they didn't like my mother very much either. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. This is Short Story Short Podcast. I am Chris, here today with... Christy Baxter. And Christy, short stories are a dime a dozen this year. What did we spend our dime on this week? We spent our shiny dime on Voices by Alice Monroe. Nobel Prize winner. And this story took me a couple of different directions. And I really want to ask you, like, what did you feel going through this? Going through it, I very much felt a sort of anti-nostalgia on the part of the narrator, the daughter here. She, she's talking about her mother and she's talking about her in this way that you think maybe these are things that she didn't quite realize growing up, but she see, she's seeing definitely through the lens of adulthood and through experience now. And looking back, she sees these negative things about her mother and the way that her mother approached life and reality. And it's definitely, it's, it's, it's not really nostalgic. It's looking back and, and poking and criticizing. I really, the first thing that came to me on this one was, man, she uses the right words without feeling like she's cutting everything to the bone. And I really, really liked that. But the thing that really got me was I had visions of what this girl's life was like. And as things go through, it's like, oh, my expectations were wrong stepping in. 
And I think that was a really good part about the story was that I was having this sort of idea that this is a girl who's like, because that, that line that really got me was, uh, and they didn't particularly like her much either. Was that, was that what it was? Oh, I want to get this one right because I like to quote things correctly, I think. Yeah, and they didn't like my mother much very much either. I mean, that really sets them apart. But as you sort of experience that, and particularly the interaction between the mother and the father, you realize that there's, there's more going on underneath the surface that is really much, much more, I guess, deep is the word I'm looking for. Uh, but I also sort of lost myself in the right, like one of the best moments in this whole thing is, am I sure she said that? Mouthwatering? Whatever she said, it did not sound quite right. I mean, little touches like that are deeply human. There are things I could imagine myself saying. Uh, uh, when I saw the owner of the pool room, the whole scene of the dance came back to me, the thumping piano and the fiddle music and the orange dress, which I would by then have called ridiculous. And my mother's sudden appearance with her coat, with her coat on that she probably had never taken off. That's one sentence. Mm -hmm that encapsulates an entire scene and also at the same time an entire character her mother in that if you just gave me that i would have a vision of what her mother was yeah and i actually want to i want to go back to something you said at the beginning there that you you had certain expectations and that mm -hmm. this this story went in a, in a different direction i feel like it it's that that's so difficult to to pull off the way that that mirrors the ex very existence of the characters, you know the, the the narrator she had certain expectations going to the dance. The mother has certain expectations of her life. Neither of those things are fulfilled. Instead, everything goes in a different direction, and so I, I really feel like you're sort of in a deeper way getting a sense of what these characters are experiencing. Exactly. And uh, I love the fact that when I looked at, because I always do some research, I'm not a heathen. Um, I, looked, uh, I looked at it and this is always described as a young girl has an encounter with a prostitute, um, which one, much more salacious than the story actually is. Uh, mm -hmm. But two, it, it turns it away, I think, from what I feel that the story is actually about that I think you, it is that that sort of, not necessarily regret, but that sort of anti-nostalgia, this idea that where we came from isn't necessarily our either our choice or our best world. That it's not, you know, when you look at everything through the haziness of a nostalgia, you get a unfair reality taken out of that. And I think here, beautiful work I think to make it so that that came through but again Monroe just has such amazing words <laughs> oh I I absolutely love she's talking about the the dress that the the prostitute wore and she said I think if I was writing fiction instead of remembering something that happened I would never have given her that dress a kind of advertisement she didn't need that was one of those surprise moments you know I love those moments when I'm just like oh it hurts my heart how good that is <laughs> Yes, oh, just, oh, there might be a reason she got a Nobel Prize, I guess. I, um, maybe, I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, but I really, really appreciated the little touches that gave you views of their family life. Uh, you know, when wondering why she was uh, was brought to the dance instead of her father, you know, her saying, my father maybe didn't like to dance and my mother did. Also, there were two small children to be looked after at home and I wasn't old enough yet to do that. I can't remember my parents ever hiring a babysitter. That to me says so much about the relationship between the mother and the father. And, you know, they don't hire babysitters. They don't necessarily uh, have that sort of openness to that. There's some, it feels like she's establishing a sort of a closedness. And also, I love that I'm not sure the term was even familiar in those days. It's a nice touch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I love sort of that, like her description, particularly of clothing, I think is great. Um, her mother's dress, I think, is actually almost as good as the, uh, as the prostitute's dress. <laughs> Oh, I love, I, yes, I, I, I do go in hard for its descriptions of clothing. Uh, I love them. Uh, and I just love this idea of the proliferation of tiny beads, gold and silver in various colors, sewn all over the bodice and catching the light, changing whenever she moved or only breathed. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. But you also feel like it's probably too much for the, 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 the event that she's going to. <laughs> Exactly. And again, that sort of the disconnectedness, I think, of the family is that I sort of feel coming through this. And I like that a lot because all too often stories that have this sort of background feel like they are telling the story of people who are deeply connected in a community, uh, you know, going out and becoming. But here it's disconnectedness within a disconnectedness. Because uh, every one of those Air Force boys is disconnected from their reality to go into their that world, and that's an in interesting little play off one another there too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, and I think the uh, the younger potential prostitute Peggy, I think she's she's disconnected in a way from from the reality of her world, and maybe doesn't understand how some people are viewing her that they're they're looking down their noses at her. I think, I think, yeah, everybody, there, there's so much disconnection. This is a story of, it's a tale of disconnection. And I think personally, I, I particularly gravitate it because of that description in the beginning of being not quite out in the country, but also not in town. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where I live. <laughs> that's where I live. I'm always struggling to figure out, like when I'm asked to describe, like on a survey or something where I live as suburban or rural, I'm like, I don't no because i like have acreage but also i'm like three minutes from town so i'm like i don't i don't know is there a word that covers in between but i i also experience a sort of disconnectedness from my community and um i that i think that you and I, I think it, it holds true today that even with all of our connectedness through you know digital means you can't really replace that actual experience and benefit of being there um, you know, I could have all the Zoom calls I want with people in town, but I, you know, if actually like going into the city and walking around and seeing things and talking to people that way is a whole different experience and you get so much more from it. Sure. And I think one of the great things about that also is that, you know, not quite town, not quite uh, rural, that sort of that in that in between zone is that is showing you that that is area that is disconnected. 
And, you know, all these disconnections are happening and they're all being brought into one place and one time. And I think it also has something to do with the time with the story was taking place is that there was all sorts of disconnections happening. So this is a story of disconnections. And another thing that I like that it does, okay, sometimes you have the case where a setting can become almost a fully fledged character. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's necessarily the case here, but the setting does strongly, strongly affect the characters, maybe more so than in most of the things we've read for this show. Mm -hmm. And I, I really like that because you get that sense of, of place and how place can connect you, it can disconnect you, how it can make you feel, how it can change your expectations or not meet your expectations. Mm -hmm. And so you get that, that sense that the, even though we don't get any serious you know, descriptions of the setting and it, there's not a lot of interaction between the characters of the setting, it still is, manages to deeply affect them. Yes, I think in a way the setting is a structure for the story. And I think that that, uh, like uh, one of the other stories I was thinking of earlier, uh, which is a book called High Rise by J.G. Ballard, uh, where it's literally a story about a high rise apartment building. Hmm. And that is, you know, is obviously structured like a high rise, you know, where every floor is different and various people. But here it is, it is this place that is Mm -hmm. uh, that is, and that's going to play really well in a podcast. It's this place of non-definition filled with people who aren't necessarily well-defined in and of themselves and particularly to themselves. And I love that idea. I love how that plays off one another. Yeah, it definitely, it does. They do play off one another beautifully um, because the, the, the people are just as uncertain of who they are and what they're supposed to be doing as, you know, they're, they're, as we are uncertain of the exact setting. I mean, you could put this in so many, so many towns in America, so many. Mm -hmm. Yes, but in fact, I know exactly where it did happen. Canada. <laughs> Wait, Ellis Monroe was Canadian, right? I believe so. But no, this actually took place, very few people realize this, uh, in beautiful Los Angeles, California, uh, two blocks off the Sunset Strip. Uh, are you saying that for sure or are you like pranking me? It's all subtext, it, it's there. <laughs> okay, sure. But this is a really good one. This is the first, I think, Nobel laureate we've, we've gone with. Ooh, a milestone. Yes. <laughs> all right. So got anything else on this one? I did want to touch on the ending a little bit because you you don't really see it coming and it's something that I've never thought of before. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> She's talking about the, the young men that are, you know, the soldiers, uh, they're, they're brought to our country to train for bombing missions on which so many of them would be killed, to quote from the story. It ends with... And while they still inhabited my not yet quite erotic fantasies, they were gone. Some, many, gone for good. And you get this weird idea of this, yeah, it's mind blowing, this idea that, that certainly never occurred to me of this, this girl having fantasies about these men that may be dead. And that's weird and creepy. And I think it's that idea and the, the mind blowingness and the weird and creepiness of it that sort of, uh, <laughs> 
really brings the story home, even though it wasn't so weird and creepy up until then. Yeah, and the line, not quite yet erotic, is really, really telling. And probably problematic <laughs> <laughs> yes a little a little problematic for sure uh i think we we, we possibly could have done without that uh, but uh but yeah it definitely is it, it suddenly takes the story in a whole new direction it almost passes it off to those men who are going off to war like a, a, a relay you know a baton being passed in a relay and but then it, it, it leaves you to just wonder. And we all do so yes, often. Do. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, hey, hey, Christy. Yes. What are we reading next week? Hey, Christy, what are we reading yes. next week? <laughs> what are we going to read next week? We are going to read The Paper Menagerie by Ken Liu. Excellent. Well, I am so looking forward to that one. Well, for another week, and even now, I think this will be the second episode of 2021 this has been short story short podcast Bye.